He's been shipwrecked three times in his journeys. He's seen the storms at sea. He's probably seen the sharks swimming. The fear of drowning, always there. He's been stoned almost to death outside of Derby. Just like Stephen was killed by people stoning him, Paul lived through it. But can you imagine the horror of that? Being belted with stones that are really more like bricks, pounding his body. Everywhere he goes, he's criticized, persecuted, abused, misused, neglected, and cursed. Not a day goes by that he doesn't face some of that. And on top of all of that, he's tired, he's hungry, he's sick, and he's often exposed to the elements as he has no place to call home over his head. If that was your life, what would you do? Raise up the white flag and surrender. Would you do that? Would you walk away and never come back? Well, Paul wants to let the saints at Philippi know, and maybe you and I know this morning, there is no giving up. He's going to press on for the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder in my estimation, and many estimations, he was the greatest Christian man who ever lived. He may have been a pygmy of a man physically, but he was a giant of a man spiritually. You couldn't make the man quit. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, his one desire was to be like him. And he decided to follow Jesus, and he wasn't turning back. He wasn't turning back. This morning, I want to share with you some words that I think are perhaps appropriate for us wherever we may be on the journey of life and faith. Because maybe some of you have already given up. Oh, you're here, but you've already given up. You've already thrown in the towel. You've already tapped out. Maybe some of you are thinking about giving up. It's been a tough 2018 for you. It's been a tough decade for you. It's been a tough millennial for you. Maybe some of you right now are doing real well. You're high, wide, and handsome. Boy, you're just strutting. But I can tell you this, one day things can change. Will you still walk with Jesus when you can't strut no more? And when that sunshine has turned to darkness, and when the roses are now weeds, the road that was paved with gold is now filled with dirt and potholes. How do you do it? How do you press on when the pressures of life are piling on you? Seven words that I think help us understand how to do that from the great Apostle Paul himself. The first word I want you to think about is dissatisfaction. 
Look at verse 12 and 13 again. Paul says, I'm not going to give up because I have within me a a dissatisfaction. Why would he be dissatisfied? I thought there was joy and satisfaction in the Lord. Well, there is, but he says, I press on. I keep on keeping on because of dissatisfaction. He says, not as though I had already attained it, verse 12, Either we're already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying, if I can help you through the old English, is I'm not happy. I'm joyous, but I'm not happy with who I am right now. I'm not happy with what I have right now. I'm not happy with what I've done right now. I want to be more for Jesus. I want to have more for Jesus. I want to do more for Jesus. I'm not content to sit on my spiritual behind, on my spiritual laurels. I want to be more for Him, have more for Him, do more for Him. Now understand who's saying this. This is a man who has a resume a mile and a half long. It'd take you a wheelbarrow to carry it. This is the Apostle Paul. He has seen the risen Christ with his own eyes. He's heard the risen Christ with his own ears. He's preached to hundreds of thousands of people the gospel. He has seen hundreds of thousands of people come to Jesus and be saved. He has seen their lives changed. He has wrote, or in the process of writing, over half the New Testament that we now have in our Bible. He is a great theologian. He has formulated the doctrines of the faith. He's a great defender of the faith against the pagans and religionists who try to oppose him. He has started churches. He raises churches. He takes the pastors of those churches and he mentors them. There has been no man with a resume that is like his. And yet he says, I'm not satisfied. Think about that. I'm not satisfied. I've still got a few more years left in me. And even though I'm in a Roman prison and may never get out, Even though if I do get out, they might take my head off my shoulders. He said, that's okay. I want to be more, have more, do more for Jesus. You see, people who have that kind of mentality, that kind of dissatisfaction, they will keep pressing on. Ask you a question. How much Jesus do you want? The problem with the 21st century church is most of us have enough Jesus already. We don't want any more. 
We don't want any more worship. We don't want any more witnessing. We don't want any more serving. We don't want any more giving. We don't want any more praying. We don't want any more church. We're already done our thing. We're already doing too much now. With that kind of attitude, you'll never do anything for him again. My resume is like that, and so is yours. And yet the great apostle Paul's is like that. And he says, I want to be more and have more and do more for Jesus. And I will until I can't, is what his attitude was. What happens to water if you just let it sit? Absolutely. We've got a pond outside my house, and most of the time the water just sits. And sitting water has a sickly color to it, doesn't it? It kind of has a foul odor to it. I'm sure if you were to go swimming in it, or drank it, you'd get sick. Because it's toxic. There's nothing appealing about sitting water, particularly if it's been sitting a while. Do you know what Christians are who decide they just want to sit? They're not going to be anymore, have anymore, do anymore for Jesus. You're just like that kind of water. God wants his people to be moving, and he wants them to be moving forward. Paul said, what, what, don't worry about me quitting. He said, that ain't going to happen. I've got so much dissatisfaction in here about what I want to be and have and do. I'm going to keep pressing on. Then he says in verse 12, I'm going to keep pressing on because not only of my dissatisfaction, but my devotion in verse 12, notice he says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. Pay attention to that. I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. That, that phrase, follow after, is an interesting phrase. Let me give you the literal meaning of it. It means to pursue something unrelentingly pursue something because you love that something. I guess it would picture a young man chasing after a young woman. And he's like a bloodhound and she's the rabbit and he's chasing her. Well, why is he chasing her? Because he loves her. And he's not giving up till he catches her. That's what Paul says is the reason why he keeps pressing on. He says, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved me first. I now love him. And I'm going to follow after him. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to, without hesitation, reservation, I'm going to follow him. 
And it's all because I what? I love him. I love him. I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to have a new pursuit. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to relax. He loved me. I love him. And I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to pursue the things of him until I go to be with him. Many of you know my wife loves to take me shopping with her. And I'm absolutely thrilled about it. But I've learned that we can coexist. She goes to the stores and does her thing, and I park myself in a chair. Now, if it's the mall, it's on those center massage chairs with a cup of coffee. And she can go to Penny's and Belk's and Dillard's and wherever else she wants to go. And I'm fine. And then when she finds what she wants, she calls me and I bring the checkbook and you know how that works. Now occasionally I will have to make an observation or a comment and it's always, that's good. But in those times of sitting and waiting on her, you do get to sit next to people and chat with people sometimes. And one of the conversations I had maybe three or four years ago was with a sailor who served our country in Vietnam. I've never met a man who has served seven tours in Vietnam. He said he served seven tours. He not only served seven tours as a sailor in Vietnam, he was on a swift boat. He wasn't on a battleship or an aircraft carrier off the shore. He was in the brown water, as they call it, the intercoastal waterways, on a swift boat. Swift boats are known for the casualties that they take on. The life expectancy of someone on a swift boat is not great because obviously they're sitting ducks in the water where they're, wherever they may be at, prone to be ambushed easily. And he did seven tours on a swift boat in Vietnam. And I, I asked him why. Certainly you have a family. Certainly you cherish your life. Why would you seven times go back to one of the most dangerous assignments in Vietnam knowing that you could be wounded or, or be killed? And you know what his answer was? Because I love this country. Love drove him. And love should drive us. It drove Paul to follow Jesus. Thirdly, verse 13, we're talking about how to press on when you are facing the pressures of life and everybody and everything in you is telling you, quit, stop, turn around, go back, throw in the towel, tap out. Shoot up the white flag. I want you to notice in verse 13 the word direction. Paul says, 
In verse 13, this one thing that I do. This one thing that I do, this one direction do I focus on is what he's saying. This phrase, this one thing I do, is a medical phrase. If I could draw you a picture of what that phrase means, it it would show a surgeon standing over a table, getting ready to perform an operation on somebody. And what it's saying is that you would want this surgeon, I guess you would want this surgeon, I imagine it's you on the table, okay? Not your friend, you. (laughs) Big difference. You're on the table. You're getting ready to be operated on. Would you not want that surgeon to be single-minded? Would you not? Would that be a good thing? Single-hearted, single-focused, single-task. His mind, his heart, his eyes, his hands are directed on you, the patient, that he is going to operate on. Would you not agree that's a good thing? Would you not agree? Now, if you don't agree, we'll make sure next time you have a surgery that you get a a doctor who's going to watch General Hospital while he's cutting on you. (laughs) If you don't agree, we'll get a doctor who's listening to the Rolling Stones and dancing while he's operating on you. If you don't agree, we'll have a doctor who's playing on the iPod while he's cutting. How about slowing him up? Listen, you wouldn't want a surgeon operating on your body who hasn't given you his total mind, his total heart, his total eyes, his total hands. He's singly minded, singly hearted, singly eyed or, 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 or visioned singly tasked, and it's all on you. He's not thinking about yesterday. He's not thinking about tomorrow. He's not thinking about anything but performing this surgery on you that you will get better. And Paul says when it comes to pressing on for Jesus, that's how I look at it. He said, I don't try to think about a lot of things because it clutters my mind. I just look at one thing, Jesus. I don't try to feel a lot of things because it can pull me emotionally this way and that way. I just stay emotionally fixed on Jesus. I keep my eyes on Jesus. I don't try to look around what's going on. I don't try to look back. I just keep my eyes on Jesus. And I don't try to be multitasked. I know who I am. I know what I've been called to be and to do, and that's what I'm going to be called to be and do. Wow. Notice he said he forgot the past. You you can't go forward if you keep looking back, can you? And some of us, we look back, we live in the past. There's nothing wrong with the past, but you can't live in the past. And Paul said, notice he said, when I press forward, I forget the things that are behind me. What were some things behind him that he's forgotten about? He's forgotten about his past glories. He's forgotten about the resume that he has. He said, that's past. 
I thank God for it, but it's past. I can't live there no more. He doesn't think anymore about his past grudges. You know, there were people who said things about Paul and did things to Paul that angered him. But he said, I ain't got no time to keep thinking about them and planning retaliation or vengeance. I, I've just let it go. He also maybe was thinking about past griefs. The pains and problems of life that we talked about he's already been through. He didn't dwell on them. I'm, I'm dwelling on them today to help you understand what a giant he was for God. But he didn't sit in his cell and say, okay, three shipwrecks, beaten with rod. This, this. No, he never thought about all that. The past glories, the past grudges, the past griefs, the past guilt. He let it all go. You can't go forward if you keep looking backwards. So Paul's just kept looking forward. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather have your sight or your memory? Because that says a lot about where you're going. A man was asked that one time. He paused for a moment, gave it some thought, and he said, I think I would rather have my sight. Because if I have my sight, I know where I'm going. If all I have is my memory, all I know is where I've been. You see, some of us have great memories, but we don't have no vision. You can't have a vision to be great for God and continue on for God if you just keep looking to the past. The good old days, let them be over with. The bad old days, let them be over with. The things that you've said and done that are wrong, let God forgive you. And the things that were said and done to you that were wrong, forgive others. Keep moving forward. Fourthly, or fifthly I should say, we're talking about pressing on. We're talking about how Paul had a dissatisfaction with who he was and what he had and what he had done. He had a devotion that drove him, and that was his love for Jesus. He had direction. He had determination. I want you to notice in verse 14, he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That word press is a military word. It means to go forward, advance. It's an athletic word. It means play to the end. Play to the end. It's also a sailing word that means to catch the wind. I wonder what meaning Paul has for that phrase. I wonder if it's all three. When the pressures of life are bearing down on you and you want to quit, advance forward. Play to the end. As long as you have breath, you're in the game. Don't give up early. And spread your sails. 
and allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to take you forward. For you cannot take yourself, allow the Spirit of the living God to take you forward. Somebody said there's three types of Christians, and you can characterize them as boats. You have rafts, rowboats, and sailboats. You're one of them. The rafts are those who just float around and go nowhere. Life for them is just floating. And they float in circles, they float back and forth, but they don't never go nowhere. No purpose, no accomplishments, they just float. Raft Christians. Then you have rowboat Christians. Now they do go somewhere. They go whatever direction they choose. They go however far they choose. They go oh, however direction or straight they choose. Because it's all based on who. If you're in the rowboat, how is the boat going to go? You've got to do it. So it's all based on you. Rowboat Christians, they do go forward sometimes. They do go backwards sometimes. Sometimes they just go in a circle. Some of them go for a long time. Some of them go for a short time. Some go fast, sometimes slow. It's all based on them. And whenever you try to do something for the Lord that's all based on you, it's not going to last long. Because God didn't make us to serve him in and of himself. Then there's sailboat Christians who just spread their wings, their, their, their sails. And they let the wind of the Spirit of the living God take them forward. And all they do is steer that thing to where God would have them to go. That they might arrive where God wants them to be. Paul said, I'm a sailboat Christian. I'm letting the Spirit of God take me where He wants me to go. How fast He wants me to go. And I'm just holding on to the steering wheel. Make sure we get there. Let's continue. Pastor, I want to quit. Don't quit. Don't be satisfied with what you've done. Keep building your resume. Press on. Pastor, I want to quit. Love Jesus. Don't quit on the one you love. He wouldn't quit on you. He wouldn't quit on you. Stay focused. Stay determined. Be disciplined. Look at verse 15 and 16. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded, and if anything be ye otherwise minded, God shall reveal even to this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Paul is just kind of talking about there, the idea in these verses is, is that whenever you are advancing forward, whenever you have a mentality of you're not going to quit, whenever you spread your sails and ask the Spirit of God to 
to propel you, to give you the power that you have not in yourself to keep on carrying on. As you're doing all of that, you keep your eyes straight ahead. You're not worried about anyone else. When I was teaching PE many years ago, fourth grade, we'd line up the boys and girls on field days, and we'd just let them run. Start out here, just take off and go to the finish line. But you can learn a lot about life watching kids run. You ever watch kids run? They're, 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 they're interesting as they run. I mean, they're looking backward. Or they run like this. Their heads up, their heads down. Or they run like this. They do that. May I say to you, any of them that run like that, they never win. You can't run forward at any great speed. You cannot run with any great efficiency. You cannot run with any expectations to win the race unless those eyes that you have are where? Straight ahead. You're not worrying about what's going on behind you. You're not worried about what's going on to the sides of you. You're not worried about what's going on up there with the birds, and you're not worried about what's going on down here with your feet. And Paul says when you run the Christian race, when you're trying to press forward through the pressures and problems of life, he said you just got to shut out everybody else and keep your eyes on Christ. If you watch people, you'll get prideful because you're better than some of those you'll watch. And you'll think you're okay. You'll strut a little bit. You know how you strut when you think, hey, I'm better than you are. Or if you watch people too long, you're going to get a bad self-esteem issue because there's a lot of people that you're better than, but there's a lot of people that are better than you. So you don't want to watch people. You watch people, you'll get disgruntled. Why did they get something and I didn't? You watch people, you'll be inefficient. You just try to keep up with people. Most people aren't going anywhere, so where are you going to go? So Paul says, I just watch Jesus and let the others take care of their own business. And that's a good philosophy. He was disciplined. Most of us will not only love Jesus as much as we want to love him, but we'll only do for him as much as somebody around us does because we don't want to break out of the herd. Then he says something else as we move toward closing. Our time's running out. Verses 17 through 19, he talks about discipleship. If you're looking at those verses, he says, Be followers together of me. Mark them which walk, so as you have for us an example. 
talks about in verse 18, there's some who are hypocrites. You don't want to follow them. And they're going to the place where hypocrites go. Verse 19. Paul said, when you're pressing on in this journey of faith and life, try to find somebody that you respect. Somebody of integrity. Somebody of character. Somebody that you know is going to walk in the pathways of love and righteousness and truth. And when you find that lady, young ladies, when you find that man, young men, hitch your wagon to them because they will take you places that you could not go in and of yourself just by following them. Make sure you're following somebody that's real, not somebody that's not. Make sure you're following 24-karat gold, not some cheap gold-plated imitation. Make sure you're following something that's genuine, not phony. But when you find that person, listen to everything they say. Do what they do. Follow them. Emulate them. Because you know why? In doing so, you are not just following them, you're following Christ. Wow. Some might say Paul was very braggadocious to say to Timothy and Titus and other young men behind him, you want to follow Jesus, follow me. That's what he said. How many of you would make that statement? But that's how much he walked with God. That's what he's saying to us. Grab hold of an Apostle Paul, and we got some Pauls here, and we got some Paulines here. And our young men and young women, you need to grab hold of one of those and let them take you places spiritually you could never take yourself. And then he closes it all out. He said, if that's not enough reason to keep on when everybody's telling you to quit, if that's not enough reason to press on when everything in you says to give up. If dissatisfaction, devotion, direction, determination, and discipline and discipleship doesn't do it, he said one more thing maybe would spur you on. Verse 20 and 21, he talks about delight. He talks about payday. How many of you like payday? Okay. How many of you like dessert at the end of a meal? Okay. Doesn't seem like a meal without dessert, does it? A nice, bright, red velvet cake. Chocolate delight. Something here, something there. Wow. Cupcakes, cookies. You see, that's, that's, that's good stuff. I can eat spinach if I know I got red velvet cake at the end. I can eat kale if I know i got a coconut cake waking on me. You see, I can put up with the junk <laughs> to get to the good stuff. And that's what Paul's saying. This world has a lot of junk. But he said, that's okay. We can put up with it. 
Because what we've got waiting for us at the end of the line is something to shout about even if you're a Baptist. Our conversation, our home is in heaven, verse 20. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies that they may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I think Paul's shouting a little bit here. He's a little Pentabaptist. He's dancing a jig. He said, my home is in heaven. If you're going to get me, devil, get me now. Because once I get there, you're not touching me. I'm headed to heaven. This is just foreign land for me. This is strange ground for me. I'm going home. And he says, if I don't get there first, Jesus might come for me. Because he says Jesus is coming again. You do know Jesus is coming again. Some of us here are not going to die. We're not going to the undertaker because we're going up with the upper taker. Paul is getting ready. Boy, he's ready. He said, my home is in heaven. That's why I'm not giving up. Jesus is coming again, and I want to be ready to meet him. And he says, when I do meet him and when I do get to heaven, I'm going to be perfect. I won't need no more of these things to help me be perfect that we use down here. I won't need to fix my hair anymore. I won't need to put makeup on anymore. I won't need to go on any diets. I won't need to visit a surgeon for this or that. I will be perfect. Can you imagine that? No more lines on your face. No more crow's feet. No more sagging chin. No more belly. No more hips. <laughs> you will be perfect. You'll look in the mirror and you will be perfect when you get to heaven. You say, what is perfect? Whatever perfect is for you, that's what you'll be. Paul says we'll, we'll be perfect. We'll have our vile bodies that are decaying and dying. will turn into bodies that are living. We'll be transformed just like a, a worm is into a butterfly. That's how remarkable the transformation will be. Because we're going to a place that's dirt proof and decay proof and disease proof and danger proof and devil proof. Perfection. Train leaving today at one o'clock for those of you who want to go. <laughs> but Paul's looking ahead. He says, how can I quit? when there's so much waiting. And I've got more years behind me than I do in front of me. I can't give up. I've got to press on. I've got to press on. And then he says, Amen. Heads are bowed tonight.